Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Uh, This month, we are going to be focusing on pastors and counseling. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I encourage you to do that. It will provide some explanation on why we chose this topic for the month of January, but it will also give you a glimpse of what to expect from us this month in terms of content. Today, Ronjour is going to be interviewing Dr. Kristen Kellen on pastors and shepherding victims of abuse. Dr. Kellen serves as an assistant professor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. This interview was recorded over Zoom, so the quality may be a little different from what you're used to, but it in no way takes away from this very important conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Pastor Matters. I am here with uh, Dr. Kellen. Kristen, it's so good to have you here, and we're absolutely grateful for your ministry uh, at Southeastern and to our churches. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we have uh, quite the discussion today. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, abuse and about shepherding uh, victims of abuse. Uh, Of course, uh, your field is uh, in, in counseling. Uh, and, and so we thought that it was really appropriate for you to be here for, uh, for, for this discussion. And, uh, we'd love to, uh, uh, just to, uh, gain some wisdom and some counsel, uh, from you in this regard, uh, not just for us as the pastor center, but for, uh, fellow pastors who are listening as well. Uh, so why don't we start here, uh, before we even talk about how to deal with abuse, uh, perhaps we need to define what abuse actually is. So what, what, what is your working definition uh, for abuse? Yeah, that's a great question, Ronjour. And at first glance, it seems like a pretty easy and straightforward question. Uh, but there's a lot of difficulty in simply giving a, a definition because we all, we all kind of have different understandings in our head. And sometimes it's hard to put our finger on what abuse actually is. So um, I can share with you first kind of the legal definition of abuse, but then I'll, I'll kind of tack on my understanding Um, The legal definition of abuse is any sort of uh, act or a failure to act on the part of a parent or caregiver um, that results in harm. Uh, And that harm could be as serious as death. It could be serious injury. uh, It could be um, mistreatment. It could be exploitation um, or some sort of failure to act that also results in harm, what we would call call neglect, basically. Uh, So that legal definition Uh, but a lot fits under that umbrella. And so um, I tend to take a little bit broader uh, of a definition of abuse um, to be mistreatment, um, but not all mistreatment is abuse or is abusive. And so I would add some qualifiers to that mistreatment. Um, Typically it's more severe. Uh, The the severity is higher uh, is when we would move mistreatment into abuse. Um, typically there's some level of uh, coercion or manipulation or control that's happening there, an authority or a power differential that's happening there. 
Um, quite often, uh, abuse is mistreatment that is unpredictable. Uh, so there's that that sense of uh, what Brad Hambert called crazy making, uh, that one minute everything is fine and the next minute it's, you know, from zero to 60 in, in 2.1 seconds sort of deal, uh, but it's unpredictable in that sense. Uh, but also there's a layer of a lack of um, self-agency or self-determination, right? So the, the victim of abuse starts to lose their sense that they have any control or choice in a situation. Um, so all of that kind of nuancing this idea of mistreatment to make it abusive. So uh, the severity, the coercion, the unpredictability, lack of, of agency. Um, but I would also add that um, context and the situation matters as well. Um, and so let me just give you an example to make that clear. So um, if I find out, let's say that um, my child is about to walk in front of a car, right? It is not abusive for me to grab his arm and yell and pull him back, right? That's not abusive. The, the situation demands that response. However, if he has dropped something on the floor, it is not appropriate for me to grab his arm, yell in his face and pull him back, right? But the context determine whether or not one is abusive versus it's not. Right. Um, so I want us to make sure that we keep that in mind as well, that it's not just a set of actions, but the context matters um, also. So um, it's a long answer to what seems like should be a short, <laughs> you know, a short and easy question. Uh, but abuse is one of those things that's difficult to nail down and it's difficult to define. And quite often that works to the benefit of the abuser uh, because it's sometimes hard if it's not um, explicit. Uh, like physical abuse that's leaving marks, uh, it's sometimes hard to figure out is this abusive or is this not? Um, so uh, long answer to, to that question. No, that is absolutely uh, helpful. Thank you uh, for, uh, for, for that definition. And thank you for the examples as well. Uh, I, they definitely help to clarify uh, what, what abuse is. If it is this, if this is what, what we would define as abuse, uh, we know from uh, several uh, reports, uh, probably most famously among the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the reports from the uh, from the Houston Chronicle uh, several years ago uh, that that uh, chronicled uh, abuse in our churches. Mm -hmm. it, it, it took a lot of people off guard, uh, and and unfortunately, it also uh, wasn't much of a surprise for for many. Uh, as well. So, uh, because there are many that have, you know, they've, they've been in churches and they've seen firsthand uh, uh, abusive situations, and they've seen churches that have, uh, that have responded uh, in favor of the abuser uh, rather than the abused uh, and, and so on. But before we get into, into responses to that, uh, the first question uh, that I think we need to deal with uh, uh, in this regard is, why is it there in the first place? Uh, why, why do you believe abuse has been such a, a major issue within our local churches? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different answers to that, but you're, you're hitting on something really important that it is happening in our churches, whether we want to think it's true or not. So we have to deal with it because the reality is, is that it's there. 
you know, I think um, there are some principles that we hold to as believers that are good principles, right? So for instance, we are quick to forgive that Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek, right? And so when someone is repentant, quote unquote repentant, we want to believe that it's genuine and we want to be quick to forgive because that's what we're taught. And while that in principle is not a bad thing, what we see sometimes is false repentance. Uh, and so there are, um, there's this, this sense in which we want to forgive and we want to uphold the honor of that person who is seeking repent, seeking forgiveness. And so we give forgiveness. And that unfortunately sometimes turns into a lack of consequence, right? Uh, so we try to we try to brush it under the rug or say, oh, well, it's over and done. They repented. There's no need to do, take any sort of legal action um, because we we want to forgive them. We want to restore them. We want to believe the best about them. Um, and so that just gives room for uh, a distortion of those good things, and it gives room for abuse to to flourish there. Um, I think another layer of it, and this is not just within the church, but just in general, um, is that abuse often carries shame. Uh, and so for the victim of abuse, they, they feel the sense of shame and sometimes guilt or personal responsibility. Uh, and so, I mean, even in outside of the church, we know that um, less than 10% of people who are abused actually bring that to light. Um, and, and so this the sense of, well, if I was abused and I had some responsibility and I'm ashamed of it, and I don't want people to think poorly of me, right? So it becomes personal to the victim, um, is the same in and out. Um, I think another layer of it, though, within the church um, is this idea that we we trust our shepherds, right? I, we trust our pastors to lead us and shepherd us. And so I think that makes it such that we are slower to um, bring those things to light, or we're quicker to overlook those offenses uh, because of that trust that's there and that power dynamic, authority dynamic that's there. Um, again, all of those things are good things, but when abuse comes into the picture, they're they're not they're not used properly. Um, and so I think that's why within the church, it just it becomes a just fertile soil, if you will. Um, I read a report about a year ago. Um, there was an interview of, of abusers who were in prison, uh, and several of them mentioned that they would go to churches on purpose to look for victims because of how trusting the children were and the people were there and how quick they were to overlook offenses. And it hit me as a, oh, that's true. That's absolutely true. But those who are uh, abusing other people know that. And can, can use that to their advantage. So unfortunately, good things get distorted and, and used for, for bad ends. Yeah, that, that's actually the thing that I, uh, that I think is maybe the, the biggest takeaway from, uh, from what you said there is that there, there is a good, you know, it's good to trust, <laughs> you know, it's, it's good to, uh, to believe that when when someone says that they're repenting, that they're actually repenting, and it's and it's good to restore uh, someone who has you know who has uh, fallen in a in an offense or a sin or something. It's good to want to restore that person. Uh, the problem is the very nature of abuse, uh, which is to uh, to ex uh, exploit uh, that that trust, you know, to exploit that uh, that purity you know, for, uh, for their own selfish, 
uh, purposes and selfish ends. And so uh, there's a sense in which we want to maintain the trust, right? We want, we want to maintain that culture of, of, of trust and, you know, the, the doors open, you know, uh, come as you are, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and so on. That's such a staple of the church. Uh, and, and I think should be, uh, while at the same time maintaining the wisdom, you know, and the discernment uh, to know when, uh, when you're getting played uh, and to know where those holes, you know, uh, in, the, in, the, in the structure and so on are uh, that could be easily exploited. So yeah, that's, um, that, that's, that's very, very helpful. When do cases of abuse need to involve outside authorities? And, and, and if they do, what, what's the process? What should the process be when, when a victim first approaches uh, his or her pastors? You've got some folks, of course, who would say, uh, you know, every case of abuse, uh, we got to go and we got to, you know, bring in the authorities and you know, this is critical mass. You've got others that kind of say, you know what, let's, let's take this slowly, you know, uh, innocent until proven guilty, you know, and so on. What, 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 what is the process uh, and where, where does outside, uh, uh, outside authorities and so on, where do they fit in? Absolutely. Great question. Um, so some of that depends on the laws in one state. Uh, so we preface this by saying you need to know the laws in your state. That being said, in all 50 states, any reasonable suspicion of child abuse or neglect by law has to be reported. Okay, so one qualifier would be if it is a child, so someone who's under 18 approaches their pastor and says such and such happened and this is abusive, by law we are required to report it. Um, and, and that's important for us to recognize that there are legal consequences for us if we fail to repent, uh, to report rather. Um, now, that being said, I want us to, I would encourage us to exercise a little bit of wisdom there in the sense that uh, that does not require that the same minute the child comes that the, the pastor picks up the phone and calls the police. It means that they do that in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, so it doesn't mean a week from then, within a reasonable amount of time, but it's okay to sit and ask questions. It's okay to say, help me understand what you mean when you say that. It's okay to get more information. That's okay. Um, but if there is a reasonable suspicion of child abuse or neglect, we have to report. Okay, we, we need to do that within a reasonable amount of time. For an adult, it gets really tricky. Or for abuse that happened years and years ago, it gets really tricky. And those two um, are partially determined by the laws in the state. So in some states, uh, it is required that we report abuse of adult, like domestic violence, that sort of thing. Uh, in most states, it's required that we report elderly abuse. So any sort of situation where the person's capacities are limited, we have to report just like child abuse. But for adults, for instance, in the state of North Carolina, um, I, we're not mandated to report domestic violence or abuse of an adult. Um, it's incumbent upon the victim to do that. So generally speaking, here's some qualifiers here. Um, generally speaking, I would defer to the adult if they want to report it to the authorities. Now, my exception in that, and this is just my conviction, um, is that if, if it becomes egregious, and, and what I mean by that is there's the safety of others or it's, are at stake, um, or I think that abuse is impacting your children, then 
I believe that I have an ethical, a moral responsibility to involve the authorities if someone else's safety um, is on the line. So some of that is a case-by-case basis. I don't think we should shy away from it, uh, in part because actions have consequences. Uh, And so let's say that someone comes and reports abuse. Um, I'm going to assume that it's truthful. And I'll ask questions, I'll gather information, but generally speaking, we're assuming it's a truthful report. There are consequences for actions. And we need to keep that in mind as we um, as we deal with all of this. So erring on the side of belief rather than unbelief, um, asking, um, ensuring that that person is safe, asking questions to, to increase understanding those sorts of things. Um, would then lead us to whether or not we would involve outside authorities. I think it's also helpful for us to recognize, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this later, um, is that the the church has what I like to call one slice of the pie. We don't have the whole pie. Uh, The authorities, the government authorities, have another slice of the pie. The legal system has another slice of the pie. The health health system has another slice of the pie. we as the church need to stay within our slice of the pie. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not an attorney. I'm not, you know, those sorts of things. I'm not a judge. I'm not a police officer. My role within the church is to listen and encourage and support and shepherd. Uh, But my role within the church is not to police, is not to press charges, is not to treat medically. Um, there are people for that, and there are people who are trained for that. And so if it becomes evident that we need one of those other slices of the pie, let's get their help. Let's work as a care team to get their help and help that person more holistically, as opposed to just thinking that we, the church, have all the expertise that's needed. We have a lot, uh, but we don't have all of it. Um, so I think it's it's situational, but our role as um, as church ministers, as pastors, is to empathize with them, to listen, to understand, ensure their safety, and then involve others when it becomes apparent that we need to do that. Um, with children, that's quicker than with adults. With elderly, that's quicker than with adults, right? Um, but we're oftentimes the first step in getting more people involved to help. That's, that's good. Thank you very much for that. Now, you know uh, that there are some churches, uh, perhaps several churches, that would take uh, another position. Uh, so they would listen to what you said and, and so on. And they would say, wait, 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 wait. First Corinthians 6 talks specifically about bringing in outside legal uh, you know, uh, uh, help and assistance into you know, matters that are going on in the church. And so... Uh, if you have a grievance against another, First Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you not incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? And so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Okay, and, and they'll, they'll take a passage like that and they'll say, so it seems that if there is an issue here, we shouldn't go outside the church to, uh, to the legal authorities and so on, law enforcement or whatever. Uh, this is something that stays in-house. Um, what would you say to someone that would use scripture like that? 
uh, to defend keeping instances of abuse in-house uh, and say, no, we don't go over there or anything because the Bible tells us not to? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. And uh, if I'm completely honest, I, I struggle to answer that in the sense that it seems also blatantly obvious to me from scripture <laughs> that we would involve government authorities. And what I mean by that is there are, there are lots of passages, Romans 13, right? Those sorts of things that say that God has established governing authorities and we submit ourselves to them. Um, and part of that, those governing authorities are to um, enact justice and to carry out justice. Uh, and this is a justice matter. This isn't a legal dispute over property rights. This isn't a legal dispute over um, you know, buying or selling something um, or even a conflict. This is an egregious sin against an image bearer of God that demands justice. Uh, and God has established the governing authorities for justice. Um, not to mention that, again, like with child abuse, we are required by law to report it. Uh, so we, by submitting to our government, we are following through with that by reporting. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that those, uh, the arguments from like 1 Corinthians 6 and similar passages are, um, are fair, uh, but I don't think they see the whole picture of what scripture is teaching us in that. Um, so I, I think that we need to understand again, our slice of the pie, that if our role is to mediate basic conflict, minister to people, that sort of thing, great. It stays within the church. Abuse is, is not mediating conflict. It's gone well beyond that at that point. It's it's a justice matter. Um, and so I think that we see that falling under the, the legal and the government slice of the pie um, there. I also mentioned earlier the importance that uh, actions have consequences um, and just understanding the difference in many ways of the consequences that can be carried out by the church versus the governing authorities, right? Um, and, and I wanna say this charitably, I mean this charitably. Um, certainly there are consequences, um, but the legal, you know, the government can lock someone up, press charges, have a permanent record on the, you know, those sorts of things. Those consequences are significant. Um, and so I think that there is this level at which we allow those consequences to happen because we love them, because we want to see them restored. We want to see them recognize the weight of their actions. Um, whereas we might not see the full weight of uh, the actions of abuse, if it's, you know, again, I want to be careful and say this charitably, um, but if we, we follow through a church discipline, we understand that as believers, that that is significant. Um, but if someone is that deep in sin, that they're not recognizing that they're abusing someone else, perhaps they need stronger consequences and they need more kind of impactful, immediately impactful consequences. Um, on them. So uh, I hope all of that makes sense. No, it absolutely does. And I, and I think that uh, the, the dichotomy that you had before, that you had said before about the, uh, the church has a, has a piece of the pie, the, the law enforcement has a piece of the pie, medical has a piece of the pie, you know, and, and so forth, is actually very helpful. We're, we're not Israel. Uh, you know, kind of in the, if I could you know, answer it, you know, theologically, we're not Israel. Uh, in in uh, Israel, when you look at the Old Testament law, God designed for the people of Israel being a nation 
uh, he designed for them to deal with uh, both religious matters and civil matters, you know, if you will, uh, together. And so uh, Israel did have the right to bear the sword, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because they were they were a nation. They were, you know, they had a government and, and you know, a political government and, and all of that. Uh, we as churches, uh, we're not a, a nation as such. You know, we are a kingdom, if you will, mm-hmm. but, uh, but a kingdom that is not of this world <laughs> and a kingdom yet to be realized, if you will, in the political sense. Uh, and so we live uh, internationally under different nations, under different jurisdictions, under different constitutions, you know, and so forth. And, uh, and, and because of that, uh, there's a split when it comes to civil matters and civil issues. Uh, there are uh, things that we can address as, as uh, churches, uh, but we can only go so far. God has only given us so much authority. Uh, in uh, in in these matters, and there are things that God has given to uh, governments, and I think that's what uh, what you alluded to in Romans 13, 1 Peter two, and also, uh, you know, God God is the one who has given uh, foreign governments, secular governments, if you will, uh, that responsibility, and so uh, we as churches can only do so much, and we can only go so far, and then we you know. Uh, kind of pass it on uh, there. I think First Corinthians 6 isn't really dealing with this kind of stuff. Uh, uh, he, he mentions, you know, he uses terms like disputes and uh, defrauding and things like that. It, it, it doesn't seem like abuse, uh, physical, uh, emotional, like you said, neglect and so on. It doesn't seem like that is in the the realm of what Paul is talking about here. And so uh, I would strongly caution churches, uh, if you're using that as kind of a a proof text, if you will, uh, be careful uh, because God has provided these things. And and as you said, uh, Dr. Kellen, it is an issue of love. If you love uh, that person, uh, both the, the abuser and the abused, if you love them, uh, then you will bring in uh, uh, law enforcement when necessary uh, for for both of their safety. Yeah, and if I could just add to, and this is anecdotally, uh, part of my struggle in responding to this question is just the fact that it hasn't worked well in the past, right? We've had uh, churches and, and leaders who have said, this is how we should do this, and it never ends well. <laughs> and so I don't mean that to be our primary authority in, in how we deal with these things. Um, but experience also tells us exactly what you're saying. When, when there are civil matters at stake and justice matters at stake, it, it practically works much better under the government authority as opposed to under the churches. So um, we should, I think we can learn from history a little bit there as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what does the long term look like? Uh, you know, you could say, all right, we'll bring in law enforcement, let's say charges are pressed or so on. Uh, the abuser uh, goes to uh, goes to uh, to prison, has to serve a sentence. Uh, the abused uh, is 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 free from the abuse and so on. It, it seems like there are a lot of churches where that that's kind of the end of the of the road. And so, all right, you know, you guys, you know, you all take care and we're going to go over here and and, uh, and keep on doing uh, uh, our, our, our ministry. Is there a ministry uh, for the abused? Is there a ministry for the abuser? 
Um, if, if so, what does that look like? What does, what does the long term look like for the church? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there should be continued ministry for both of them. Um, I'll speak to the, the victim first and the abuser. Uh, for the victim, it's depending on the abuse, but generally speaking, this has been tremendously impactful on their lives. It has changed how they view people. It might have changed how they view God. They're dealing with lots of questions and lots of uncertainty, perhaps some physical ramifications of the abuse. Um, and so it's not over for them. Um, they will go throughout their lives, most likely, with this popping into mind um, when they encounter similar situations, when they smell something similar. I mean, it, it, the triggers that are there that bring this to mind. Um, if it's a child, with each new developmental stage, they're going to revisit this abuse because they're going to understand more and more and more. Um, and so ongoing support and recognition that it's not just over and done, uh, that it, it will probably pop up throughout their life. Uh, but I would also add, though, though not the first step by any means at all, eventually we want to minister to them such that they can then turn and minister to others, right? Paul talks about this, that we are comforted so that we can comfort other people in their affliction. And so in part, that ministry should be uh, to them, to encourage them, to lift them up and build them up, but then to seek to look outward and, and use that for the good of others, for the comfort of others. Again, not at first, uh, but moving that direction. Um, for the abuser, uh, we should be ministering to them like we would anyone else caught in sin, right? Um, we, we tend to rank sins, um, and, and I get that it makes sense on some level, um, but they're a sinner caught in sin. And so how would we minister to any other sinner? We would call them on their sin. We would lovingly correct them. We would wisely put boundaries around them. I'm presuming they aren't imprisoned or anything like that. If they're within the church, put, put wise boundaries around them, um, but then encourage them and support them, give them accountability, those sorts of things. Um, because especially if they've recognized, I sinned like this against another image bearer of God, that carries immense guilt and immense shame. And there's a weight on them as well. So um, we want to make sure that we're not neglecting either party. Um, but both of them need to be ministered to in response to um, a situation of abuse. That's that's really good. Uh, that's really good. I um I, I wanted to ask a question. When you're dealing with the the victim, I've seen this in in cases before, um, where the the ministry that that I've heard from pastors and so on uh, uh, to the uh, to the the victim of abuse. Uh, has been something along the lines of, uh, well, you need to forgive. And that's, that's kind of it. <laughs> so what, what do you need to do? Well, you need to forgive. Um, so uh, I, I, I've seen cases before where the abuser hasn't had that same adamant, well, you need to repent. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, it, it seems like the ball is in the court of the victim to say, well, you need to forgive. And if you're struggling to forgive, well, then you, you know, you obviously aren't obeying Jesus, which kind of obviously adds to the weight and the, and the, the burden um, and so on when it feels like, okay, I've been wronged and yet I'm the one who apparently has to take the mantle, you know, and, yes. and, 
and work to restore this relationship as opposed to the one who did the wrong that has to work to do the relationship. Mm-hmm. So uh, could you speak into that a little bit? What, what, where does forgiveness fit in all of this? Because obviously we know that that's a command from Christ uh, 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 to forgive, but uh, is it just kind of carte blanche? Uh, is it just, uh, you know, you, you forgive and, you know, and, and all of that, or is there, you know, kind of a, a 50, 50 type thing, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, how does this work? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the listeners could not see me cringe when you said that initially. So let me just throw that out there. Uh, because unfortunately that is, uh, though well-intentioned oftentimes the, the response, um, and you know, it, it's kind of like looking at the abused, the victim and saying, Oh, don't worry. God works all things for your good. We wouldn't say that, right? Uh, it's a truth, but there's wisdom in when that truth is communicated. So Absolutely. Do we want to work towards forgiveness? Yes, but that is that is not where we start. Uh, so it's. I think we have to understand um, when it is wise to communicate certain things. So we want to listen and empathize and encourage and build up long before we say, "You just need to forgive," right? And, and you hit the nail on the head that the mantle is not on the on the shoulders of the victim. It's on the shoulders of the abuser. So uh, I think we need to understand that that comes well down the road and we will get there. Lord willing, we will get there. Uh, But that's not a day one conversation. That's not a day 10 conversation. (laughs) That's that's further down the road. I also would want to make a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation in the sense that we are commanded in scripture to forgive. Uh, and we we want to uphold that. So yes, we forgive. Um, but Paul makes this really interesting statement in Romans where he says, insofar as you are able, live at peace with all men. And I think he intentionally gives that first statement of insofar as you are able, uh, because reconciliation takes two. Uh, so it takes the abuser in this situation acknowledging, truly repenting, truly changing from their actions, accepting consequences, recognizing uh, the gravity of what they've done for it to be a two-directional restoration. Uh, And so I think too often we either don't define those terms really well or we confuse them or when pastors say you need to forgive the message that is communicated is that means you need to go back to the way things have always been. Well, no, no, you haven't been restored yet. And that's a two directional thing. Uh, And so again, I think it's well intentioned by pastors, just poorly executed uh, and not wisely done. So uh, clarity, as far as our speech, wisdom, as far as timing, uh, I think that would go uh, to great lengths to help that part of the conversation. Thank you very much for that. Uh, that that yeah, that's very helpful, very encouraging for us. Um, on that note, with wisdom, mm. uh, you're a counselor, so I'm assuming that you know uh, uh, you counsel. Um, so, <laughs> uh, what are some good resources? for our pastors. I, I know I, I've experienced it, you know, uh, when, when I was in the seat, uh, as a, as a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, we know that sense of inadequacy, 
uh, we know that sense of uh, you know just feeling uh, too small for the uh, uh, for the for the moment. Uh, you know that uh, that the situation is just bigger than than we know. Um, and uh, and I know even in terms of preparation, you know, you could go to seminary, uh, and and you uh, we have a, a, a pretty wide. Uh, a selection when it comes to Bible and theology, and uh, and it gets really uh, small when it comes to uh, these types of matters, pastoral matters, uh, counseling matters, and so on. Uh, so a lot of the work we have to kind of do on our own. Um, so why don't you help us out, help out our pastors? What are some resources uh, that you would definitely recommend for them just to just to get a, 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 a up to speed with you know uh, matters of of abuse and uh, and what to do and who to who to talk to and so on? Yeah, yeah. So um, there are lots of resources out there, and a lot of them are very specific to domestic violence, sexual abuse, physical abuse, that sort of thing. So. Um, there's options out there. There's a really helpful book put out just this past year by Darby Strickland called Is It Abuse? Uh, and I think this book is really helpful because so often, like you said, pastors are sitting in the chair thinking, this is bigger than me, but what is this? It, what do I call this? Is this verbal abuse? Is this abuse at all? Is this you know, sexual abuse within a marriage? How do I even understand what this is? Uh, and her her book, Darby Strickland's book, Is It Abuse, is really helpful just to get an initial grasp on what what it is we're talking about. Uh, so I would, I would point pastors there. Um, there's also two books there, uh, by folks who are local here that are really helpful, one for victims and one for the abusers. Um, the first one, um, Joy Forrest, has Call to Peace Ministries, and it's specific to domestic violence. Uh, but she wrote a book called Called to Peace. Uh, that's really helpful in thinking through kind of the nuances of abuse and um, some things that if you're not trained in counseling abuse or shepherding through abuse that you would need to think through, um, some things that aren't maybe common sense, <laughs> things that, that pastors would have in their arsenal, um, but called to peace by Joy Forrest. But then on the flip side, um, Chris Moles wrote a book called The Heart of, a, of Domestic Abuse. And again, this is specifically for domestic abuse and and um, but it, it speaks to abuse in general on the side of the abuser uh, and helps them recognize why this is not okay, why this is a violation against an image bearer of God and how we minister to them. Um, so I really appreciate those. Again, though they're, though they're specific to one of those types of abuse, they have some really great principles for abuse in, in general um, there. The, the other thing that I would say is for pastors, don't be afraid to get help. Um, reach out to other pastors in the area, your associations, the seminary, to find people who have walked through this before. Um, abuse is kind of like, and counseling abuse is kind of like a plate of spaghetti in the sense that there are so many things that are intertangled and intertwined that if you pull on one piece, another piece moves. Uh, and so the complexity there can sometimes feel really overwhelming for a pastor uh, who isn't familiar with counseling through abuse. So again, I would just recommend that they reach out to another pastor in their area or someone who's a little bit more seasoned uh, and help uh, get help walking through this with somebody else because it can feel overwhelming. Mm, that's good. That's good. That's very helpful uh, too. And, and I do uh, absolutely uh, encourage our pastors to uh, uh, to check out those resources and uh, and absolutely don't go at it alone. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are uh, plenty of other uh, shepherds, uh, plenty of other uh, uh, counselors and so on uh, who are uh, there. <laughs> They're there to come alongside of you uh, and to, uh, to help you as you shepherd your church in, in, in situations like these. Um, let, let's end on this. How, how would you encourage uh, anyone that's listening to uh, this episode who might be a victim of uh, past abuse or may currently be going through uh, abuse. Um, we've talked a lot to, uh, to pastors, uh, but there are uh, some who may be listening that, uh, that are uh, going through it right now or have gone through it right now. It, it may not be shocking to say that there may even be some pastors themselves uh, who have been abused uh, in the past uh, that have never uh, uh, dealt with it. They've never gone uh, to uh, get any type of help or anything like that uh, for anyone uh, who may have been or are currently uh, uh, struggling uh, through abuse. Uh, how, how would you encourage them? Yeah, great question. Two, two things come to mind. First uh, is simply what you're alluding to is reach out and get help. For it, this is not something that you need to carry for on your own. Um, it's also we, we spoke earlier about the shame that oftentimes comes on the abused, uh, but that's not something that um, you need to hold on to. That it was not your fault. It's not something that you did. Uh, and so, it, reaching out for help and and getting the help you need is my first uh, just encouragement and recommendation. Don't walk through this alone. Don't hold on to it by yourself. Um, because there are plenty others who have walked through it and are now on the flip side of that passage in Corinthians from Paul of that they can comfort you in your affliction because they've been comforted in theirs. So take advantage of that and that within the church. But second, and more importantly, recognizing that you're not alone. Um, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Uh, and it talks about Jesus, our great high priest who can sympathize with us. He has walked through these things that we are walking through. Um, and when we think about this, this topic of abuse, I mean, Jesus fits that, right? That he was physically um, assaulted and harmed. He was verbally assaulted. Um, he suffered greatly um, at the cross on our behalf. Um, and, and so we, we think about our great high priest who intercedes for us, who hears us and bends his ear to hear us. <laughs> He has been where we are. Uh, And so remembering that we are not alone, that people who are abused, um, your great high priest Jesus knows what it feels like um, and is there with you, is close to you. And so just finding rest in that and holding fast to that. Um, But part of why I love that Hebrews 4 passage is that verse 16 says that we can draw near to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy in time of need. Um, Now we know we need the Lord every hour of every day, right? But those who are are victims of abuse have a a special need, right? They need grace and mercy. They need help. They need comfort. And so the Lord invites us to draw near to the throne. He's going to pour out grace and mercy. um, And our high priest is there interceding for us to give us that. And so just that comfort that we get from, from the Lord and his word and his presence um, I would encourage victims to to take hold of that and hold fast to that. 
All right, and and thank you so much, uh, Dr. Kellen, for that, and and thank you for your words of wisdom. Thank you for your counsel uh, on uh, uh, for us and for pastors uh, here. Uh, my prayer, of course, for those who uh, who are uh, shepherding in, in these types of situations, in these types of cases, uh, that God would give you uh, wisdom, that God would give you humility, uh, that God would give you the, the boldness and the courage to, to uh, say what needs to be said, to do what needs to be done. Um, and, uh, and that God would, uh, would fill you with his Holy Spirit. Uh, to comfort the brokenhearted. Uh, we, we know, of course, that that is the heart of our Lord. Uh, we know that from the Psalms. We know that from the Gospels, that this is, uh, this is the Christ that we serve, uh, that, that he comes to the rescue of, uh, of the sheep that are hurting. And so uh, may you uh, shepherd as our great shepherd shepherds um, and care for his sheep well. Uh, and of course, for those uh, who have been abused, may God give mercy to you. Uh, may God restore your your soul. And um, and for those who uh, who are perpetrators of abuse, we pray that the Lord would, uh, of course, uh, uh, intervene in in your own lives as well to bring forth repentance uh, and even to restore you uh, to a place of godliness and uh, in Christ likeness. Uh, this has been a very helpful uh, uh, time together with you, Dr. Kellen. I thank you so much for your ministry here uh, to Southeastern and uh, your ministry uh, uh, of counseling even outside of our institution as well. It's good to be here. Thanks. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. It is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with this conversation. Yes, and as always, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.